Remote work has long moved beyond simply being a trend or a lifestyle. It's a natural evolution in the way we work and collaborate, a complete and vital redesign with profound positive impact for businesses, teams, and society as a whole. With it comes a work culture revolution that requires putting freedom, trust, and conscious behavior at the core of every business who wants to thrive. I'm Sarah Regalhuth, your host, and I'm a serial entrepreneur, investor, and expert in growing happy, high-performing remote teams. Since 2014, I've been running all my businesses remotely, and that has deeply changed who I am as a leader. I've gone from micromanaging an unhappy team, suffering high turnover and working long hours, to moving to the US, traveling roughly six months a year, and loving the shit out of my team and being constantly amazed as to what we're achieving. Join me as I dive into conversations about remote work magic, conscious culture, and the future of work with some of the most inspiring founders and leaders in the remote work space. Insights, tips, success, and failure, innovation, we share it all. Let's dive in. Hi friends, I've just finished recording an incredible episode of Conscious Culture with my friend Seth Conja. He's the CEO and founder of Mios Health. I'll let him tell you all about the amazing work that they are doing to prevent uh, the onset of Alzheimer's. Really just great stuff, great person, great team, love, love, love what they're doing. We met through the baby bathwater community um, at a recent event in Boulder, a very small event. Uh, I met some other incredible, very conscious leaders and founders in that organization with very purpose-led businesses. So I look forward to having more of them on the show in the weeks and months to come. I hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you as always for tuning in. And if you do have guests who you know are doing, or ideas for guests, I should say, people who you know are doing an incredible job at leading their teams with consciousness, with heart, with love. I would love to hear about them. I would love to interview them and get them on the show. So please feel free to drop me a line and I would love to talk to some of these people. In the meantime, have a great day and enjoy the show. Hey Seth, thanks so much for joining me. How are you? I'm good, Sarah. How are you? So nice to see you again. Yeah, you too. I'm back in Austin now and you're up still in Colorado, but... Uh, still in Colorado. Um, loving it. Living the remote life <laughs> dream. Yeah, you're new to Colorado, right? We are about a month and a half now. Um, seems like life changed when we moved to an environment that really supported us uh, personally and professionally. So it was just a testament to the idea of, of remote work, right? And being, being where you feel supported as an individual but also where your business is going to be supported. And we made the move, just picked up and left Charlotte, North Carolina with a family about a month and a half ago. And it seems like the universe has opened up to us since then. Oh my God, I love that. I'm like getting vibrating as you speak. (laughs) It's so good. I feel (laughs) the same, like living between Austin and Colorado. And I live in the mountains in Colorado, but there's an amazing entrepreneurial community, obviously in Denver and Boulder that I'm pretty plugged into and then getting to come down and spend time in Austin, which I do live more. I live like in the city here in Austin and there's just such a vibrant community here. And it's not just, I I think it's the energy. You can, you can literally feel it when you're in a place that like matches your vibration, your frequency and where you're taking your life at that point in time. Like you can feel it. Yes. Yeah, you certainly can. And I mean, here we have the mountains, really help that. Uh, 
I also went from staring at another apartment building, uh, doing, doing remote work when everybody were, was taken out of their offices and put back home, um, have a small child, three-year-old. And so run around with him staring at an apartment building versus being in a place where I can look at the mountain ranges is very, very different. Yeah. It's a lot easier to be in the environment that most suits you and to have a little more space and nature around you, obviously, during these times when we've got less access to um, you know, other things. I mean, it's obviously pretty open up in the US now, but it's still yeah. it's not entirely back to normal. I'm definitely right. feeling for right. some of my Aussie, Aussie friends, particularly in Melbourne and Victoria, they've been in, I think it's eight months-ish of lockdown now. <laughs> And, you know, Melbourne's a high density city. So there's a lot of people doing exactly what you just said, living and working from an apartment, looking out the window at other apartment buildings. And I feel very grateful for the fact that I've been able to split time between Austin and the nature and the mountains in Colorado. It's been dope. Yeah. Yeah, I do too. Cool. So I'm so excited to have you on the show. We met recently at the Baby Bathwater Shindig, it was called, a small socially distanced gathering in Boulder, Colorado. And um, I was just like super excited by what you're building. So I would love you to tell us in your words all about your company. Of course. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners have been touched by Alzheimer's disease. Mm-hmm. Uh, my company helps people with pre-Alzheimer's, not develop Alzheimer's. And my grandmother, we called her Grammy. Um, I can remember coming home and visiting her in college and getting to the nursing home and realizing that she didn't remember who I was. Mm. And it was, it was kind of the classic dementia story, right? Um, no help from the experts. She kind of withered away in the nursing home. It was very personally devastating for her, um, very emotionally devastating for the family and, and financially very hurtful for all of us as well. And a few years after that, my grandfather, Jack, who was my hero, he started to see the same signs himself. Mm. And we all recognized them as well. But we caught it earlier. Uh, We caught it in a phase that we call mild cognitive impairment. It's one step away from dementia. And so we went to the doctors and the experts and the associations and the literature, and we saw the same thing across the board, which was, we need more funding for more drug trials. And so Jack didn't want to go down that same path again. And he ended up taking his own life. Gosh, I'm sorry. And it, it, was, it was kind of a wake-up call that something needed to change. In 2018, I was published as a co-author in the Journal of Alzheimer's Disease and Parkinsonism for successfully reversing cognitive decline in 100 patient cases. And I was at a clinic in, in Charlotte, North Carolina. My father-in-law was the medical doctor there, we had a number of practitioners. We had built up an incredible group of a, what we call a multidisciplinary team. And we took a very different approach. There wasn't some you know, brilliant, amazing therapy that just showed up or some drug, miracle drug. It was that we had built this team and we were using a lot of different modalities. Everything that we knew of that could have been successful, we were pairing it together. We were giving a good customer experience. And we had built some repeatable operations flows. And we were actually collecting data rather than anecdotal stories. And that's what got us published as co-authors in this, in this landmark study. And after that, we knew we had the solution. 
We just had to scale that solution. And it wasn't going to be through medical expertise or more education. It was going to be through team integration. It was going to be through technology, correct data collection. It was going to be through us being able to build a platform to support other practitioners, expert practitioners who were already doing the work and had the expertise. They just didn't have the team or the repeatable operations flows. And so that's what Neos Health was born to do, was to build basically the operating system to allow expert physicians to have the team and the structure and the marketing and the sales and everything that they need so that the end user who's the client with cognitive decline that may be headed down that path on a trajectory towards Alzheimer's so that we can help that person make sure that they change their path and change their life. It's so amazing. And I just commend all of the work that you're doing and offer my you know, condolences and compassion for what you went through that drove you to this path. Um, however, what important, amazing work you are doing and what a gift that the experiences you have are not you know, going to waste, not that they ever do, but that you're actually bringing something to the world that is truly you know, life-changing and meaningful and in a much more holistic, positive way than the pharmaceutical culture that you know, is so pervasive right now. I think a couple of things that really um, attracted me to what you're doing and resonated with me, my own grandma um, passed away from Alzheimer's or, yeah, I mean, they pass away eventually because their bodies just totally decline. But I watched that yeah. journey and it was really, for me, I was very close with her actually. And I used to spend at least one night a week staying out at her house with her. And then I think I was about 22. And then I went overseas for a few years. And when I came back, you know, she really declined in those few years. And we hadn't spoken as much just because she was older and technology and things like that, especially we're going back 15 years ago now. Um, but, you know, I, I chatted with her over those years, but it had not been as apparent as when I came back and, and saw her for the first time in several years. And her decline was quite serious. And um, as soon as we discovered that she was sort of doing things around the house that were probably not, that were dangerous, potentially unhealthy for her with food and things like that, mistakes she'd be making and um, we had to look at getting her some care. And I mean, when she went into the home, the care facility that she was in, her decline was rapid after that. I mean, there was just, and it really kind of did feel like you just put him away and forget about him. And, and obviously I didn't forget about her. I loved her, but it just, it feels so, you know, is that the only option? And so when you told me about what you're doing, it just made me feel so I'm hopeful and excited that there's people in the world doing this kind of work. And the other thing that really resonated with me was your, the, the approach of um, like it, the integrated team and all of these different things, like not just doing one thing, which often the pharmaceutical culture is very much like, here's the pill and you take this one pill and you're good. But what about which you're not good. You're just treating some symptoms, probably creating some others and God knows what else. Um, but we, I mean, I think, I like to think most of us know that if we're looking at things like diet and exercise and, you know, all sorts of lifestyle factors can move the needle hugely on health issues before we even need to consider medication, which is yes. 
part of the approach I understand that you guys are taking. And it really resonated with me after suffering um, a breakdown in 2018 and what I would, you know, self-diagnose essentially as depression. I never really went to a, a, a general practitioner or a primary care doctor um, at the time, but my approach to healing was literally like try everything, like yoga, meditation, look at my diet, exercise. Like I was doing it all. And sometimes that felt really frustrating because nothing was, there was no magic pill, you know, nothing was there to, nothing was the thing. Um, And I ended up using, working with plant medicine with ayahuasca, which really did help me, but it was also the combination of the 10 or so other different things, therapists, healers, everything that I was doing. So, I, I mean, I just connect dots between my own health journey with my mental health at that time, depression, and how it was a team approach. It was a, you know, a team approach, even in my own mind of all these different, my own team of myself, of all these different things I was doing to bring myself back to, you know, a really healthy functioning place and do the healing that I needed to do for that thing that I was experiencing. And it just strikes me that, you know, almost, or maybe arguably all of our health conditions, whether they're mental health, whether they're physical health, whatever they might be, with a very holistic approach and a proactive approach and a team of different people and really trying all of these different things in concert to see how we move forward is just such a beautiful, better and needed way. Yeah, it's the it's the approach that we've fallen onto after after years of trying to integrate all these different things together. And I think that's where it where it falls apart. So there's you know, lifestyle is going to cover about 80% of chronic diseases. Um, So you can either be having a poor lifestyle in many different categories and start changing your trajectory towards those chronic diseases, or you can be using lifestyle to move yourself away from them. The, that is your foundation, right? So all the work that you did, all the work that I did, I had my own head injuries and had to go through um, years of trying to figure out what was going to be the the one thing that solved it. And it turns out it, it wasn't one thing, right? There was one thing that kind of pushed it over the edge. But if I hadn't done the foundational work with diet and sleep and exercise and stress management, then that one thing, for me, it was low energy neurofeedback that never would have had the impact that it did. Yeah, but exactly. with, with cognitive decline, and especially when we're talking about pre-Alzheimer's, were one of the biggest issues here, challenges, is that the system waits until people have symptoms and very severe symptoms before they get a diagnosis. And right now, there are no actual supportive pharmaceuticals. Not that we're looking for the magic pill, but there aren't any for any type of neurodegeneration, really, that especially pre-Alzheimer's, um, that can do any more than maybe slow down the progression by 5 or 10%. And yet we've spent over $65 billion looking for that magic pill. Now, a few years ago, they found out that, oh, wait a second, Alzheimer's is not a single cause disease. So we can't be looking for a single treatment. We Mm. must be looking at this from a multi-causal point of view. And therefore, we have to be treating many different underlying root causes. And if you wait until symptoms appear, you're already dealing with 15 or 20 root causes. So it's really difficult to attain reversal at that point um, or even slow the progression. 
But if we can go back to the 20 to 30 years that it takes for all of those things to build up in the brain before symptoms appear, then we really have a fantastic chance of not only reversing pre-Alzheimer's, um, reversing chronic or cognitive decline as well, and improving brain function at the same time and making people's overall health better. We put them on a new trajectory. And it's really that case with many different complex chronic diseases. Um, I'm not a doctor. I'll mention that right now. So I'm, I'm not a doctor. So please don't take any of this as, as medical advice. We partner with physicians. We have expert practitioners on our team. Um, I'm not a doctor. I've had to figure out a lot of this stuff on my own over time. But we, we took a different perspective of, of making that integration. So if you are dealing with memory loss, if you're dealing with cognitive issues, decision-making problems, if your brain is slowed down, it's really difficult to piece all these things together yourself. And you're also racing against the clock. So the chances of you figuring out the hierarchy of what needs to fit where at what time without any of the data behind it is really difficult. So what we do is we kind of take that over for the individual. And we figured if we could align incentives with results that our clients wanted to get, rather than aligning incentives with insurance companies or pharmaceutical interests or even a private practice's interests, supplement sales, you know, whatever the incentives used to be, we've changed those around to make sure that they're all pointing towards results and well-defined results. And then we have the team wrap around an individual and give them everything they need in the right pattern to get them there. And I think there's, there's so much that goes in with that of fitting in the pieces where they need to fit. If you have a puzzle, the pieces have to fit together in a, in a certain order um, for you to actually get to the result that you want. And it's no different with health. Most people just aimlessly kind of go through it though um, and depend on others to actually take care of them rather than taking control themselves and finding the right path. Mm, totally. Well, well, it's great work that you guys are doing. And I imagine as a business, um, being so passionate, so aligned and so kind of purpose-driven, you're attracting people into your CR, your vortex, so to speak, um, that are like also passionate and aligned and want to kind of help you and support you on this journey, whether this is, you know, I know we love working with you. Um, our organizations work together and I, I love partnering with you and my team absolutely love what you guys do. They're always talking about it. Um, but I imagine that you, the staff that you attract, the team members and the other organizations that you partner with share that kind of purpose and passion and wanting to support you. I'd love to hear your thoughts and your experience on that because that's been my experience is like the more passionate and clear I am on what I'm doing. It's like, you know, those that are attracted into that vortex are like, they're really there to help me. Yes. Yeah. And that's been, uh, you know, it's so interesting when you're, when you're a startup, because you're always balancing the, we're not quite there yet with this massive vision uh, that you have. And you have to have that massive vision to attract the right vendors, the right employees, the right team members, the right partners, all, um, and actually the right clients. We do, we do a huge vetting process to make sure that our clients are the right fit for us as we are for them, or we won't achieve success. Yeah. I mean, we, yeah. as we've been, as I've mentioned a couple of times, we live in a society that's conditioned to look for the pill, the magic one right. pill. So I'm sure from that perspective as well, like 
there's a lot of clients that aren't yet ready perhaps to actually go down the type of path that you're offering despite the kind of overwhelming uh, evidence of success, yes. you know, it's still, it's not necessarily simple, right? Because you're, you're talking with them about this, you know, quite intentional journey they're going to go on. Yeah. And it takes, it takes an investment, not just of money, but of time and of effort too. Uh, it's a major commitment. They have to have the right mindset. Um, if they don't have the right mindset, it's really difficult to start to make progress. Now, mindset's one thing we work on. We take about a month to actually work through the programming of mindset and help people change to a much more of a growth mindset than fixed. But you also kind of have to have some of those pieces in the beginning or you're never going to get started. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the same way with our team members. You know, we have, we have four core values that are both internal and external. We built them to be internal and then we found out very, very quickly that those core values are how we define partnerships, whether that's clients or, or vendors. And the first is trust. We have to be able to trust one another that what we're saying is, is true. I mean, we're asking people to trust us with, with their lives. And we need to make sure the same thing with our team members, that we can trust them to perform their duties and their roles and responsibilities. Um, the next is connection. Right? There has to be this connection, whether we're remote or whether we're in person. And if we don't have that, that beautiful connection, then it's going to be very difficult to move forward. Same thing with our clients. And our clients have to be connected really well with their physician partners, with our health coaches, with our client support analysts, with every single piece of this, with the platform. They must feel connected. This connection is so important to having that purpose to continue to move forward learning and growing, we constantly need to be staying on, on the edges and not just the science and the literature, but in anything else that could possibly be a solution that we could integrate in to get people moving forward faster and more efficiently. Um, we need to be learning and growing ourselves and continuing to work on ourselves. We all have pieces that we can be getting better. I mean, part of the, the group that we met at was about learning and growing and being around people who are so much smarter than you and connecting with them and using those pieces. It's the same thing with our clients. They have to be learning and growing. And this happens a lot when people retire. They're already you know, right at that edge where their brain is going to decline, but they're keeping their brain challenged every day. And then they retire and all of a sudden things just drop off because they're not challenging themselves anymore. They're not learning and growing. And then finally, ownership. We have to take full ownership of what we're doing. We're making some really big claims that we're going to guarantee success in medicine. We're not guaranteeing that somebody ever, you know, doesn't get Alzheimer's way down the road. There's a lot of things that we can't control for once they're not working with us. But we can guarantee that they're going to improve their brain function, that they're going to lower their risk of Alzheimer's with very well-defined markers and that they're going to improve their overall health on an objective and a subjective manner. And that's never been heard before. And we have to own that, that claim. They need to own the fact that they're going to be doing a number of things, number of activities. We make that really simple for them, but they have to own that. The doctors have to own their role. The coaches have to own their role. And then all of our, all of our team or our partners have to own their roles as well. And so ownership, I believe, really came down to, for us, as one of, the, one of those key ingredients. 
And so it was very interesting how we developed those core values. And then they were both external and internal when it came down to it at the end of the day. I really appreciate you sharing that because it's something that I've come to understand as well. And, and the values essentially are when we, when we talk about culture, like who we are, you know, they, they really are the definition of the culture and what's important to us and how we show up every day as people. And they do when you've got them right. And when I say right, I mean, they're aligned with what is true for your culture and your business. You find that they do apply both internally and externally. They apply to everything you do because a truly aligned company, I would say, doesn't treat their staff differently to their customers or vice versa or their partners different. Like it really, you know, the relationship to many degrees should be operating in similar ways. And I think it is anyway, even if you might think it's not. Um, Something I talk with companies about a lot is understanding what your culture truly is, not what you would like it to be or what you think it might be or what you think it should be, which is probably more the case. So the easiest example I give is like, don't have flexibility as a value if actually you're a very rigid structured organization. Like neither is right or wrong, (laughs) better or worse. But we want to attract people in when we're talking about our team, but also our clients, also our business, the partners that we form in our organizations. We want to attract people in that also enjoy working in the similar ways to us. It's going to be right. a much easier dynamic. I mean, any, anyone who's done work on any of their relationships in life, romantic, family, friends, you know, it all translates into our workspace as well. Um, and when we have this misalignment with like what's important to us and how we are and how we operate, um, it's constantly causing friction. Yeah. You know, we, I, I think good core values, you can also measure yourself and other team members by. Um, and the way I measure that, and, and it's actually, I, I was always doing this subconsciously and just didn't know it. Um, somebody finally put a framework around it for me just a few weeks ago. But measuring yourself about who you're being right now, not who you want to be in the future. So instead of the, the have, do, be mentality of once I have this, then I can do these things and then I'll be that person. It's who are you being right now and, and how is your being driving what you're doing, which will eventually get you what, you what you have. And we've always measured by our core values of are we being trustworthy? Are, am I learning and growing today, right? Am I being the CEO that is constantly learning and growing and improving myself? Um, and so I'm constantly measuring myself on a weekly basis based off these core values and subconsciously doing the same with my team. I just never thought about putting that down in a framework and, and really doing it, but it makes decisions really easy when you have those values that are right for your company because you can, you can measure so much based around that and make decisions very easily. It does. And I've absolutely found on my journey as an entrepreneur that when those values are in alignment, I do find myself having a lot of conversations around them with people. Like this is one of our core values. It feels like we're a little out of alignment here. What do you think is going on? And it's not a matter of, you know, you're not being how I want you to be. It's just like, oh, maybe we don't shit. Like maybe we're not closely enough aligned on this that for it to be a fruitful partnership. And that's okay. Like it's totally okay. But it's actually beautiful to be able to 
you bring those core values, it's putting words around and language around who we are as an organization, who we are as people and being able to have more, you know, healthy conversations, I think that can actually get outcomes versus, I don't know, I was probably a pretty shitty leader when I first started and I would just be like, you're not doing what I want you to, like, you're not performing. You said you would do X and you're not. And it's like, not that simple. And it's not that black and white. (laughs) That's right. That's right. And I've been in the same position. Um, you know, a young first-time CEO taking venture money, raising capital, building a team towards a huge vision. You get caught up in a lot of that. And I've been very grateful to have some, some great mentors along the way. I've had some other mentors that have tried to pull me in different directions that, that didn't feel right. And, but I've had some really good ones and connections that have allowed me to understand how to be that leader. And really, truly be that person today, not sometime in the future. So, yeah, and I think that's a great distinction you make again around mentors and even books we might read or whatever it might be that we um, are consuming in our journey to learn is like there's no right or wrong. It's just what resonates. You know, what there's so many wonderful leadership books, so many amazing people we could learn from. And, I always just nowadays think, well, what, what feels like it resonates with me? What's something that I want to bring in because it feels like aligned with how I am in my early days. I feel like I read everything and tried to just implement it. Cause I was like, Oh, it's in the book. It must be the right way. <laughs> but I was really struggling, you know, things like you can't be friends with your team. I mean, I just am. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I can't. And I went through my period of like trying to not, and it wasn't very enjoyable and it was really difficult for me. I had to learn um, how to show up alongside them. That was really something that I had to learn. I think in the beginning, there were struggles between my own ego and like being friends with someone, but then being like, yeah, but I'm the boss. And I think over time, I learned that I'm not the boss. I am in charge of the vision, the strategy. That's right you know, and the direction of this company working side by side with these people. And that's how I found... Um, that's the the space I found to operate in where I could still have this kind of close relationships and friends friendships with the people that I work with. I also found working remotely was greatly beneficial for me as well because I tended to sometimes get into like a bit of a micromanaging thing, which is not really my style, but sure. being in space with people was, was actually quite challenging for me. So none of these things are right or wrong. It's, it's all about that journey of finding like what works best for you as a leader when we're in most alignment as leaders with our organizations and that I find that we become more in alignment with our teams. And and it is about the team, right? So on any good team, there is no one boss. Even the, even the coach of that team needs the, needs the team members to step up and be leaders in their own right. They all have their roles and they need to own those roles. And I think kind of comparing, comparing a a growing company to a a well-defined basketball team or football team or, or soccer team versus just a massive fortune 500 company, I think makes it a lot easier to understand how you can be flexible and grow and enjoy it at the same time. But how you as the CEO just happen to be a member of the team and with a well-defined role that you need to show up for. I think you're exactly right. Yeah. There. It makes it so much easier to swallow. Yeah. I've always loved like, looking at sport and kind of bringing that into what we do in business and even in our personal lives, like how acceptable 
it's been in the sporting world to have like a multitude of coaches and trainers and every, like once again, you know, every different type of input we can get to be looking at what worked and what didn't and getting all this feedback all the time. And I, I find it fascinating that, you know, that, that gets done in the sporting world, but we've been quite resistant over the years to necessarily doing that in our business lives or in our personal lives. Um, I'm Australian. I do think the US is further along the path of therapy and all of that stuff being and coaching being much more mainstream and acceptable and it's getting there in other parts of the world. But there's been definitely many years past where there's a lot of stigma around, you know, if you want to have coaches and therapists and people to help you be the best you can be in your career, it's like, oh, is there something wrong with you? But we don't say that to the best sporting team in the world. We're like, damn no. straight, they've got all those coaches and no. trainers. Like, that's what you do to be the best. That's right. Yeah, you have to. Um, but no, that that is definitely a, a belief structure. And it's the same thing around things like, like sleep, right? Sleep is master recovery for your brain. We see that mm-hmm. as probably the number one lifestyle issue with individuals. I mean, it's been tracked in so many different papers over time. If you're not sleeping well, your brain's not repairing itself. If it's not repairing itself, it's going to slowly start degenerating and you're going to have a multitude of symptoms. But we have this culture where it's, I'll sleep when I'm dead. I have to work more. I have to work harder. I have to put in more hours instead of the recovery period. Mm-hmm. And so it's the same thing with, with the coaching and the therapy and the self-work. It's also that recovery that is so important that you must have. And I I don't know why we have almost ostracized those things. Um, And like, you're not strong enough if you're, if you're not trying to do this on your own and putting in 15 hours a day and never sleeping because of it. Um, It just, it, it never turns out well in the end. And if we're all doing this for something down in the future, then we should be really, really more concerned about who we're being today and how we're supporting ourselves and, and our teams in the right ways than you know how we're borrowing from Peter today to pay Paul tomorrow. It's, yeah. it's not going to work well for anybody. It's not. And I mean, I used to live like that workaholic. That was my belief system. It was how I was raised, what I saw my dad do, and I emulated it. And he passed away seven years ago, um, which was a big wake-up call for me. He hadn't had a vacation in five years when he passed away. And I was like, mm. travel's one of my absolute top things in life. And I was like, wow, as much as I value my career, and I really, really do, I've always absolutely loved what I do and, and working, essentially. I like creating and doing it, but I thought, I don't want to get to that point, you know? And it's fascinating now to see how much I've shifted how much less I actually work. Like I still, I think I've really learned how to work efficiently and effectively. So I don't need to put in what I thought I needed to put in before, which was really ineffective time. Um, And how important sleep and my meditation time and my workout and all of the things that I do to nourish and nurture and recharge myself. um, It's just critical. And, you know, sometimes... I mean, I'm, I'm grateful all the time for what happened when I had my breakdown. I already had pretty good practices around that stuff, but it really drove home to me. And I learned so many tools and so many practices and so many things that see me well every single day now, not turning my phone on until nine in the morning when I finished my morning ritual, turning it off at night, getting good sleep, giving myself that, that 12 hours a day where I'm not attached to my phone, where I'm having good sleep. I'm 
meditating, I'm doing some things for myself. I mean, that means I sleep better because my brain's not so wired. I actually have a semblance of, I don't, I don't know what the word, control is the wrong word. I'm not aiming to control, but I have a semblance of keeping my thoughts to yeah, end, you know, not controlling me anyway. <laughs> right. No, and, and, you know, there's the mind and the brain, right? And yeah. a lot of times our mind tries to completely control ourselves rather than us telling our brain what to do. Um, that it's really important that we don't put our brain in a position where it just takes over and goes into survival mode. And that will happen. And most of the people we deal with, they're in survival mode right now. They're not making... And we, we do a, um, a very simple yet effective um, process called the cognitive baseline. This happens far before we would accept somebody as a client. But we understand how they're feeling and their symptoms. Now we can objectively understand how their brain is functioning. And we see this in not only their memory, but the speed of their brain and their decision-making abilities, organization, planning, attention, um, reaction time. All of these are early indicators for us and they're the way the brain works. And so we see patterns of survival mode all the time where people are making poor decisions. Their brain is like the computer with a fan on, right? With way too many... Um, windows open, all kind of doing something. It's just in overdrive. And so they're not as efficient as they could be if they just took a step back. And if we help them with their lifestyle and get them in a totally different place, but your brain's wired for survival and it will go there and it will shut down everything else that you want to do very quickly, especially if you keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. So the more self-work and self-care you do now, even if it's chipping away at, say, 10 or 15% of the money you're going to make now or whatever um, monetary value or, or tangible value you have, that is going to save you so much. It's going to be such an investment in your future just by doing the right things to care for yourself now so that your health is the benefactor later down the road. Mm. Yeah. Wise words. Wise words. <laughs> well, this has just been such an incredible conversation. Mm. I love the work you're doing and I love Thank you, Sarah. being able to see how the work you're doing, the passion you have and the purpose you have filters into your organization and into the way that you're doing business. And that's what most excites me because I'm like the culture nerd <laughs> in the conversation. <laughs> um, but like the health and wellbeing stuff is something I'm just super passionate about as well. And I can see there's just, you're working on the problem of Alzheimer's, but pretty much what you're doing could be picked up and put into any form of illness, I think. So I just commend yeah. what you're doing and you're, you're a leader of the future of medicine, I Thank think. You. Thank you. Um, I think when, when you take a different perspective on it, which is what we did, we just took a step back and said, why, why are we really doing this? And we tried to answer that question in every way possible with you know, the end results of the clients who were the ones paying for it one way or the other. Um, and that just drove everything. And we will be able to apply this to many different areas of, of complex chronic disease. We're super focused right now on pre-Alzheimer's for a lot of reasons. Um, and it, and it, it makes a lot of sense to be super focused right now, but we believe that this operating system that we're building 
plus the revenues that we are funneling to regenerative agriculture to hopefully stop disease before it starts, we believe that that system is going to really catch on and has, a, has an ability to impact the pace at which we're destroying ourselves. So tell us about that. So is that a social enterprise that you're? It, it is. Yeah. Here? So we um, right now we've been collecting one percent of our revenues that we're bringing in from clients, um, and we are donating that to a, a group called Farmers Footprint, which is a five hundred one c three. They provide both education for farmers and direct benefits to to other farmers who are looking to change from commercial agriculture over to regenerative farming. So organic farming, no-till on the soil. And they can have a huge impact on disease from just regenerating one acre. And so if we look at the next generation in our, we believe the impact we're making now will really have an impact down the road, right? In, in the next generation, my son's generation. But in order to do that, we have to supply them with the right nutrients and the right food and no spraying of that food. Um, we know that toxins are a huge piece of this. Nutrition is a huge piece of disease. And so we want to, if we're going to have an impact, we have to have an impact at the very ground level. So we're oh, trying to work amazing. on these from both sides. Oh my gosh. I, I joke around about like somebody was asking me like what drives me to be a billionaire? Why do I want to be a billionaire? And like money really doesn't drive me for my lifestyle. Like I already have an abundance and I know I'll always have enough money, but I have this like plan to use my billions to like sneakily buy all the farms one day. Like nobody <laughs> knows what's going on and I just buy them all. And then like, boom, yeah. we just like regenerate them all and make them all amazing again. <laughs> Maybe I could just look at this uh, organization you're working with. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how relatively small of an impact we need to make to make a massive one. Um, and eventually it's going to come down to choice, right? It's, it's every individual's choice of what they want to support themselves with. Um, but with better education on that and with better... Yeah, that's like choice, but they need the information of exactly. what they're actually choosing. And there's a lot of blind faith and trust in the fact that the products that we buy, you know, they're FDA approved or whatever, or whatever country you're in, every country has its own kind of food standards board of some description and there's a lot of trust that it, it's healthy it's okay if, if it's being sold essentially so mm. and it, that's not necessarily the case yeah and companies can find ways around the nutritional labels too um and but i think with more awareness and better backstories um this is a place where social media will probably help out with creating awareness and it's just a matter of the people with good intentions and incentives that are going to help humanity when we start making progress against the, the groups that are just financially incentivized, uh, I think that we'll, we'll start to see some change. And um, in, the, in the circles we run in, there are some very exciting projects that have all been working in stealth mode for a long time that I think are about to, about to hit the ground running. And it's going to start making some amazing change socially, environmentally, um, that we can we can have hope for for the future. So fantastic! What was the name of the organization that you're supporting? It is Farmers Footprint. Farmers Footprint. That's right. Cool. We'll include all of that plus links to your company and you and everything that we've talked about in the show notes. But thank you Excellent. so much, Seth, for joining oh, me today. It was just such a fabulous around. conversation. I love working with you and your team. Um, you've created such a, a needed and an amazing platform. 
Um, so thank you. And thank you for bringing us and accepting us in to, to work with. So <laughs> we're, so we're really happy to be a part of the ecosystem. We love it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Conscious Culture, the evolution of work. Follow us as we further explore real stories of remote companies and the thriving cultures they are creating. To stay updated with all our episodes, subscribe to the podcast in your favorite podcasting app. In the show notes of each episode, you'll find some of our favorite remote work and culture resources. However, if you want to have a chat about remote work, how it's done and how it can benefit your company, feel free to reach out to me directly anytime. My email address is sarah at growmyteam.com.au. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you loved that episode as much as I did. In the meantime, if you do follow me or us on social media, you'll see we have been working on something really exciting. Our new platform, growmotely.com, G-R-O-W-M-O-T-E-L-Y.com. Growmotely is a world-first platform that will end-to-end help you build your remote team or for those of you who are looking for remote jobs, professionals, skilled and experienced professionals looking for remote work, this is the place for you to go. This is full-time permanent remote work with benefits. Get on there, check it out, sign up. All we need is your email address and you'll be the first to know when we go live imminently. We are in our pre-launch stage right now, but we are so excited to bring this very new platform to the world, something that is going to change the way we all work in the future. Growmotely.com.